right, we are back. Uh, you know, when we go out, we usually like to say that we are uh, KDVS located in Davis-Sacramento. But we might just as well say Davis-Woodland, because I know we have a lot of listeners up in the northern end of Yolo County in Woodland. We might just as well say Davis-Dixon. We might just as well, for that matter, say Davis-Vacaville, or even, you know, Davis-The Foothills, because... Uh, you know, we know our 9,200-watt uh, signal is heard all over Northern California. I've, I've heard KDVS uh, up near Gridley, and I've heard it, uh, uh, you know, past Fairfield going up uh, the uh, the hill there beside on the way to the Bay Area. I've heard it all the way down the East Bay. We know we people have reported hearing us up in, up in Tahoe. I think we're going to start some sort of a contest here, give away maybe a T-shirt for uh, for Radio Parallax for the person who uh, is able to hear us um, the furthest away. We're going to do this on the honor system, but let us know, uh, you know, where you're listening in from uh, on the local station. And also we'll have another T-shirt for, I think, the person who's listening the furthest away on the Internet. If you think you qualify, uh, send us a note at info at radioparallax.com. Now, let's just pull a few miscellaneous items up. Article from the New York Times, brief article. A Costa Rican worker who makes baseballs, and apparently baseballs, Major League Baseballs, are now sewn in, in Costa Rica. I'm not sure it was like Puerto Rico or something earlier. Anyway, now it's in Costa Rica. The average worker sewing those baseballs earns about $2,750 per year. The average American professional baseball player earns Two million three hundred and seventy-seven thousand. That's the average American professional baseball player. Two point three million dollars. All right, let's go back and talk a little bit uh, about uh, the events that took place down in New Orleans and the Gulf states. Here, um, a lot of articles here. Article by Matt Weisler in the B, recently noting that uh, New Orleans flooding is a wake-up call for Sacramento. They noted that um, at least uh, two levees that were protecting New Orleans failed during the storm surge related to Katrina, uh, which basically poured Lake Pontchartrain uh, over the city in places up to 20 feet. Um, according to Sacramento Mayor Heather Fargo, clearly this is a wake-up call, not only to get flood insurance, but to continue to work harder to strengthen our levees and improve flood control. The article then pointed out that while the levees are the first line of flood defense for both New Orleans and Sacramento, which are similar in population, uh, unlike Sacramento, New Orleans lies next to the ocean and below sea level. Oh, and California doesn't get hurricanes. This doesn't really seem to deter our local politicians, however. One of these days... We might get a huge storm, said Representative Doris Matsui, Democrat Sacramento. We have to take steps to ensure something like this doesn't happen to a community like Sacramento. Of course, uh, Richard Pombo and and uh, John Doolittle, Doolittle have jumped into the fray and, of course, uh, pointed out that, of course, we really ought to get that Auburn Dam uh, going to really prevent Sacramento from that uh, 200-year flood we need to protect ourselves from. Um, it's actually quite sad. Fifteen years ago, when they were planning to develop the Natomas Basin north of Sacramento, where urban blight and sprawl is now spreading up toward the Sutter County line, uh, issues of flood control is what kept out this uh, this uh, suburban disaster. 
And when they basically, uh, you know, uh, acting at the behest of numerous real estate developers, shored up our levees, they then felt that, oh, I guess we're free to go ahead and start building down here in the floodplain, which they proceeded to do with a vengeance. We'll return to another item here about uh, about uh, Sacramento's mayor and, and goings-on in, in, uh, in Sacramento. And, of course, we should remind you that KDVS does serve Davis-Sacramento. Article from the B we've been sitting on. This might be a really good time to bring it up. Uh, from August 17th, the uh, Capitol and California section of the Sacramento B. Uh, looking down at the Delta, it was noted, and we think we made passing mention of this in a previous show, that it seemed like a bad idea, said the B, planting a crop that grows in standing water on islands originally created to hold back flood water. But there are surprising benefits to growing rice in the Delta. <laughs> what? What a concept. Taking islands that are below sea level, and instead of pumping water out, putting fresh water in them and growing rice there, instead of carving out spaces up in the northern part of the county and then importing water to grow it. Um, You know, it's been discovered that wetlands uh, play an incredibly important role in purifying water, and I suspect a lot of these Southern California interests may have a hand in this, what is actually a very good idea, um, having um, having rice growing in, in in fields down in the delta, it actually um, really purifies the water. Wetlands have been found to do an amazing job on even uh, things like sewage water in just purifying it and turning it into something that uh, is a much much better product than what entered the field. This is going to be very very big in water management in the future, uh, really all over the country and and all over the world. Actually, we need to put on our list of people we need to talk to, uh, Steve Deverell, a consultant with Davis-based HydroFocus, Inc., who was quoted in this article about the Delta water. Uh, yeah, let's see if we can't get uh, get Mr. Deverell to talk to us a bit about this. This is very interesting stuff, and I think there's a lot of good news uh, buried in this. In the wake of Katrina, of course, it's been noted all over the place on television and in the print media that wetland restoration is crucial. I'm looking at a map from the San Francisco Chronicle, which showed the Mississippi River as it existed in 1839, showing how far New Orleans was from the sea, and uh, how by 1939, this was just a patchwork quilt of, 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 of seawater intrusion. And what this has to do with is how we build levees and divert water and silt that would normally flow down to replenish land would flood over the land and replace sentiment has been stopped from doing so and as a result the land then washes away we talked about this in the show before but we should probably mention it again i've always been astounded at the fact that when i was a child and we talked about egypt it was explained that egypt of course was the gift of the nile according to the Greek historian Herodotus, and it was the annual floods that replenished the land all along the banks of the Nile and allowed it to be so fertile, which naturally is why in the 1950s and 60s, engineers got involved and decided that what we needed to do is build a high dam down at Aswan to prevent that 5,000-year-old cycle of floods along the banks of the Nile. Uh, Bring that all to an end, and then we just will use a you know, expensive fertilizers that we'll then import to replace, um, uh, you know, the fertility that's being lost to um, the lack of sediment. Of course, 
you might take note, cynics might take note of the fact that certain well-connected people in Egypt uh, had bought up a lot of land that would be irrigated by the dam down toward Aswan, and they now make a lot of money uh, growing crops in the desert by diverting water lower down instead of letting it flow higher up. But uh, I, took a, I took a look at the Cadillac Desert, to Mark Reisner's classic book. And, and, and dear listener, if you don't have that book on your uh, bookshelf at home, you really need to get a hold of it. It's, uh, it is so informative, and it's such a shame that uh, Mark Reisner passed away a couple of years ago. We'd have loved to have had him as a guest on this program. But um, they mentioned how 50% of the sediment that used to flow down to the Mississippi Delta uh, down in Louisiana is now basically silting out. Uh, upriver because of the various diversions and flood control measures and river straightening, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we're going to have to find a way to let that sediment go down river. On a, a somewhat happier note, we would note that over in Iraq, one of the good things that has taken place from uh, U.S. Uh, intervention over there is that uh, the Saddam Hussein's war on the, uh, the Tigris-Euphrates Delta has been um, halted. Apparently there was a lot of political opposition to Saddam down in the Delta, so he basically set about draining all of the wetlands that were in that area. And now that he's been removed from power, there's been wetland restoration going great guns uh, down there and the number of, uh, of square miles. Uh, it's just it's, it's many multiples of what it was in terms of restoring uh, uh, of wetlands, much-needed wetlands down, uh, down in that region. So uh, I guess, you know, every cloud has a silver lining, and one of the silver linings of the situation over in Iraq is that there is a lot of, uh, uh, of, of wetlands restoration going on that, uh, that's, that's a very good thing. But uh, back to Katrina. Uh, the Bush administration uh, has been taken, taken a real black eye, a deserved black eye, over how it has mishandled what, uh, what took place down in, uh, in Louisiana. And they're trying uh, very hard to sort of Pin the blame on others. The White House, according to the uh, the Fremont Argus on September 5th, uh, this is actually a, a reprint from the New York Times article by Adam Naguri and Ann Corblett, under the command of President Bush's two senior political advisors, uh, one of whom we believe to be Mr. Karl Rove, the White House this weekend rolled out a plan to contain the political damage from the administration's response to Hurricane Katrina. In orchestrated visits by cabinet members to the region leading up to an extraordinary return visit by Bush, administration officials were directed not to respond to attacks from Democrats on the relief efforts and sought to move the blame for the slow response to Louisiana state officials. This is according to Republicans familiar with the White House plan. And as it says later in the article, the effort is being directed by Bush's chief political advisor, Karl Rove and his communications director, Dan Bartlett. Well, we haven't heard much about Valerie Plame in the news of late. Uh, Judith Miller, uh, Carl Rove's leaks, uh, the whole matter of uh, Joseph Wilson of late. And we haven't heard much about Iraq either, have we? So in a way, uh, this wall-to-wall coverage we're getting on CNN and Fox and everywhere else about what's happening down there in the Gulf has kind of been a godsend for the Bush administration, except for the fact that their own atrocious mishandling of the matter seems to be attracting a lot of attention. So I guess it's not all a bed of roses for them. We do have a sneaking suspicion, though, that by the time Karl Rove is through, the Hurricane Katrina can be pinned on Bill Clinton. 
All right, a few other items we should tie together here. Article from July 15th, Washington Post. At least seven evangelical Christian churches have been established in Baghdad since the U.S. invasion. It was noted in July that so far, they're focusing their efforts on converting other Christians, not Muslims. Of course, I believe it's the Assyrian uh, Christian church in Iraq. has Something like 3% of the Iraqi population are Christians. But uh, we look forward to seeing quite a few more Southern Baptists now in the Tigris-Euphrates Basin. And speaking of Muslims, it's been reported that Saudi authorities have approved a plan to destroy the birthplace of the Prophet Muhammad. The London Independent reported a couple weeks back that uh, in the last couple decades... The fundamentalist Saudi government has destroyed 95% of the ruins that date back to Muhammad's time. Uh, in the holy cities of Mecca and Medina, uh, they noted that one of the few sites left, actually, was the Prophet's birthplace. It's now been slated to be covered in concrete. The reason? The disdain of idolatry. The House of Saud's Wahhabi form of Islam prohibits giving religious significance to any tangible thing, including buildings where Muhammad lived and prayed. What we are witnessing, said Saudi architect Sami Angwani, are the last days of Mecca and Medina. And an article that uh, caught my eye about the Islamic holy cities of Mecca and Medina, Dateline Cairo, Associated Press article, uh, August 21st. As millions of Muslims prepare to make the annual Hajj to Mecca in January, Saudi Arabia is adopting stricter measures to stop a new and startling spread of polio across the region. The Saudis plan to immunize on the spot all children ages 15 or under who travel to Mecca from 19 countries where the virus is found. These are mostly from Africa. What struck me most about the article was near the end where it pointed out that according to Bruce Alward, coordinator for the Global Polio Eradication Program for the World Health Organization, more than 1,050 children have been reported paralyzed by polio this year alone, mostly in the massive Nigerian outbreak, which took place after hardline Islamic clerics called for a boycott of the polio vaccine. Many parents stopped vaccinating children, and polio subsequently spread throughout Nigeria and bordering countries. The virus later jumped to Sudan, from which thousands of people catch ferries across the Red Sea to work or pray in Saudi Arabia. Also affected, Yemen, on the tip of the Saudi Peninsula, and people as far away as Indonesia, which has reported 219 cases this year and announced a national immunization drive. Okay, again, in Nigeria, hardline Islamic clerics called for a boycott of the polio vaccine and disaster ensued shortly afterwards. Why they demanded this boycott, we don't know. But we've noticed a lot of uh, reports in this country, uh, fears of, uh, of autism. Studies uh, have been done on this and they seem to be unable to link autism to, um, to I believe it's the DPT vaccine. Now, there's also been... Uh, a great deal of skepticism that the allegation that there's a huge surge in autism, there's a huge epidemic going on around the world. I'm not sure the science supports that. Uh, we'll come back to that topic as well in the future. And, of course, one of the biggest stories in the past week was the, uh, the sudden death of Supreme Court Justice William Rehnquist, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court since 1986. Um... It now appears that uh, the uh, the nomination of John Roberts 
is not so much to replace Sandra Day O'Connor as it is now to replace William Rehnquist as Chief Justice. It's very strange taking an unknown uh, unknown quantity and attempting to make the Chief Justice out of him. We remind you, as we mentioned on this program previously, that during the 2000 election, Supreme Court nominee John Roberts uh, traveled down to Tallahassee, Florida, to advise Governor Jeb Bush on his responsibilities under Florida law in the disputed presidential election that took place down in Florida. Uh, We should remind you that um, John Roberts clerked for William Rehnquist. William Rehnquist, of course, the Chief Justice uh, in 2004, Bush versus Gore, were by a 5-4 to majority. The... uh, the court stepped in and stopped the recount, which was finally underway in the state of Florida, using cockamamie, absurdist reasoning, uh, which really doesn't make a great deal of sense, uh, sort of half-assedly justified their decision, and uh, the rest is history. We're five years now into that history of uh, what has ensued, namely the George W. Bush administration. Rehnquist, of course, was appointed to the Supreme Court in 1971 by Richard Nixon, who, oddly enough, on this date in history in 1974, received a pardon from then-President Gerald Ford. Nixon may have been removed from office that summer, and he may have passed away a decade and a half ago, but his legacy, William Rehnquist, was with us up till last week. Of course, in 1972, William Rehnquist and I believe Byron Wizard White were the two dissenting votes in the 7-2 Roe v. Wade decision. Uh, Rehnquist then spent the rest of his career in the Supreme Court doing his best to reverse Roe v. Wade. We should note also an August uh, from an August 26th um, poll from the Pew Research Center, 65% of Americans think the Supreme Court should not overturn the Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion. 29% want to see Roe reversed, and 6% don't have an opinion. The closest uh, Rehnquist got to reversing Roe v. Wade came in 1989, when the court upheld a variety of state restrictions on abortions, including bans on abortions in public hospitals, bans on elective abortions performed by public employees. The ruling was the court's, uh, as we say, most significant rollback. Uh, In that ruling, only three other justices joined Rehnquist in voting to repeal the Roe decision, which left him one vote short of a majority. That uh, what's thought to be five to four majority... um, to uphold Roe v. Wade included Sandra Day O'Connor. With uh, George W. Bush and co. being handed to Supreme Court justices, uh, uh, in a way, the key vote that he's going to get to replace is O'Connor more than Rehnquist. But, uh, you know, you can pretty much kiss Roe v. Wade goodbye unless uh, some of the liberal-type uh, opposition in this country starts to show some backbone, which, uh, which there hasn't been a great deal of evidence of of late. Yeah, it's sad, believe me, missy, when you're born to be a sissy without the feminine five. But I could show my prowess, be a lion, not a mouse, if I only had the nerve. We should note also in Texas versus Johnson in 1989, in which the court struck down a law against the burning of the American flag, 
Rehnquist had the following to say. Flag burning is the equivalent of an inarticulate grunt or roar that it seems fair to say is more likely to be indulged in not to express any particular idea, but to antagonize others. Uncritical extensions of constitutional protection of the burning of the flag risks the frustration of the very purpose for which organized governments are instituted. And, and yeah, if you can make sense out of that last line, please send us a note at radioparallax.com and explain it to us, because it doesn't make any sense to us either. I can remember when Justice Rehnquist uh, ascended to the court. I can remember this back in 1971, and uh, he was thought at that time to be a real, uh, a real goofball from the right. And it is quite amazing that when Ronald Reagan made him Chief Justice in 86, he had, in essence, moved to the center, which says a lot about this country. When we had a chance to speak to George McGovern when I was over at, uh, at KXJZ a couple months ago, it was interesting to note that the man that uh, was the main recipient of the Nixon Dirty Tricks of 1972 said, compared to what's there now, he wishes Dick Nixon was President of the United States. That doesn't say something about how this country's moved to the right. I don't know what does. All right, let's take a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this, of course, is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis Dash Sacramento Dash Woodland Dash Dixon Dash Vacaville. The joy they had found The head nurse spoke up Said leave this one alone She could tell right away That I was bad to the bone Bad to the bone Bad to the bone Bad 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 Bad. 